0: I heard a, a story about a psychiatrist who had young twin sons, and they could not have been more opposite, especially in their outlook and their attitude. And so uh, one Christmas, the dad, the psychiatrist, decided to do a, a little study, a little research project. And and so for Christmas he he tried to brighten the mood of his one pessimistic son. Uh, the, the doom and gloom pessimist that was his, his, his young son, uh, by filling his room with lots and lots of wonderful gifts for Christmas. And to dampen the mood of his eternal optimist son, he decided to fill his room with a pile of horse manure. Well, on Christmas morning, the dad went into his pessimist son's room to find him, amid his new gifts, crying bitterly. And the dad asked him, why in the world are you crying? And his son, Ever the Pessimist, said, because my friends will be jealous that I have all these gifts. I'll have to read all the instructions before I can do anything with this stuff. I'll constantly need batteries. My toys will eventually get broken. And he just kept going on and on and on about all the negatives about having all of these gifts were. So the dad decided to go into his optimist son's room, and he found his other son filled with joy, digging happily in this odorous pile of manure. And the dad asked him, son, why in the world are you so happy? What do you have to be happy about? And the son said, daddy, with all this horse poop, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. (laughs) We all know people who their mere presence brings joy to the environment, right? We also know people who their mere presence sucks the joy out of an environment. Don't be elbowing anyone right now, please. That's not the time. But uh, we all know that those people exist. The world has its fair share of glass half empty people. People who wake up in the morning instead of saying, good morning, Lord. They say, good Lord, it's morning, you know. And, and uh, that, that's the way that they start uh, the day. And so what we've been doing in this series that we're calling Joyful uh, using the book of Philippians as kind of our template, is we've been looking at, well, okay, how do we find joy? How are we filled with joy? And the biblical witness that we find over and over again, not just here in the book of Philippians, but throughout the, the, the scriptures, is that joy is a matter of choice. It's not a matter of chance and what happens to you. It is a matter of choice. And you and I choosing, that you don't sit around and wait for everything to fall into your lap and life to get fixed so that you can be happy, but that you chase after and you choose joy. And Paul makes this abundantly clear in Philippians throughout the book, but specifically in Philippians chapter 4 when he gives this command. He says this in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In just a handful of words, Paul basically gives us three commands to joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. That's a present tense verb. In other words, rejoice now. Then he says, always. In other words, continue in your rejoicing. Don't just rejoice now, but continually be rejoicing. And then he says, I'm going to tell you again, rejoice. So three times in just a handful of words, Paul says, make the choice for joy. And what we've seen in the book of Philippians is that each chapter, he's kind of given us a new way for for us to do this. Chapter 1, we find that joy is is found by pursuing God's agenda instead of our own. Paul says, I I live to exalt Christ, and you can put me in chains, but you cannot chain my joy. Because there's nowhere that you can put me that I can't live for the purpose of exalting Christ. Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 we learn that you will not find joy by making life all about you because life will not submit to your sovereignty. It will not no matter how hard you try, it will not submit to your sovereignty. And so Paul says, instead, look to the interests of others. Put others' needs and desires above your own. Jesus himself says it's better to give. You'll, you'll be more blessed, you'll be more happy when you give rather than when you just receive and you will find joy and then in chapter 3 we looked at how legalism is never a path to joy you're never going to be happy trying to be good enough to impress God and so you trust in the goodness of Jesus instead of your own and that's the path to joy which brings us to chapter 4 and we're going to spend a couple of weeks here we'll wrap up our series next week Uh, but we're going to spend a couple of weeks here in chapter 4 divided into the first part and the second part and today we're going to deal with what I, I, I honestly think is the biggest joy killer of all. I honestly think today what we're going to be talking about, and I'm guessing that, that some of you would echo that sentiment as we get into what we're going to be talking about, uh, that it is the biggest joy killer of all. And I make that statement uh, in, in a huge part because of what I've seen in almost 20 years of ministry and dealing with people and a lack of joy and seeking joy and seeking happiness and trying to find it and coming up short, and this is at the heart of a lot of it, uh, but also something that I, I read not too long ago, uh, you know, when you... Uh, purchase a book electronically. Uh, they, they track that. They track a lot of different things, but they track uh, what you download. They also can track, though, um, whether you're using Kindle or whatever it is that you're using, they can track what you highlight in a book. So not just the book that you bought, but they can track what you highlight because you can, can do that in, in electronic books. And so Amazon found that a the bible is the most downloaded book um of any other book and they also found what verses were the most highlighted verses in all of the most downloaded book which is the bible now what would you think that verse or verses would be usually like one or two maybe john 3 16 that's a popular one obviously you would think psalm 23 that's another very popular set of verses Well, according to Amazon, the two verses that I am about to read to you are the most highlighted verses in the Bible in our current climate. Out of all the others, these are the two most highlighted. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that tell you about our current climate and our culture that the two most highlighted verses in all of the Bible resonates most with us dealing with anxiety and worry? It is... I think, the greatest joy stealer, as I said a moment ago, of all. Anxiety and joy cannot coexist. Not do not, they cannot coexist. Wherever one is present, the other is absent. Because here's, here's really, here's the deal with anxiety. Anxiety says, what if? And steals our joy. Anxiety says, well, what if? And in doing so, Ultimately, steals our joy. You see, anxiety is the result of assuming control and responsibility over things that do not recognize your sovereignty, that do not answer to you. And and, and the thing that we have the least amount of control over is a thing called tomorrow. And so, anxiety is just this boatload of what ifs about tomorrow. And some looking back were small, some looking back were big. But in the moment, they all felt huge, right? What if my child doesn't make the team? What what if I never get married? What if we never get pregnant? What if the illness can't be cured? What if the cancer comes back? What if that crazy kid of mine never figures it out? What if they let me go at work? What if I can't financially keep up? What if fill in the blank? And here's the thing. The reasons for anxiety are not going away. I know that's real uplifting news to you today. But the reasons for anxiety are not going away. It's called life, and life is hard. But here's the deal. Joy will go away. Joy will go away. And you don't have to shake your head yes or no. I know that each and every one of us have experienced that joy will go away you can what if your joy away if you try to deal with anxiety and worry in the natural and in your own humanity and in your own resources you see when paul talks about being filled with joy he has really no words of encouragement for the agnostic he has really no words of uh, of of counsel for for the for the uh, Atheist, for those who, who don't believe in God, who don't trust in God. Paul is writing to followers of Jesus Christ because he knows that followers of Jesus have the capacity to live in the supernatural and to live empowered by resources that are beyond our humanity. And he insists that life, that kind of life, can be chosen. And we do that by making certain decisions. And the first one is this, to worry about nothing. Worry about nothing. Might as well just go ahead and put it out there. Let's just go ahead and get right into the meat of stuff. Worry about nothing. That's what Paul says. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Paul does not believe that people are born worriers. No matter what you might say, and I would fully admit that some may have a a certain tendency towards it, but I think in so many ways we learn how to worry. We learn how to worry. And you can unlearn it. Now you might say, well, preacher, that's impossible. You can't just tell people not to worry. Well, A, I kind of can, and I did, but I didn't really. Paul did. Paul's the one who said it. And Paul wasn't the first one who said it. Jesus said it before Paul did. You remember in that famous part of of the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, listen to what Jesus says. So if you don't want to take my word for it and you don't even want to take Paul's word for it, at least maybe take Jesus' word for it. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 27. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, it's not life more than food and, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then I like this last little section. Can any one of you worrying add a single hour to your life? Jesus says two things about worry. Number one, he says it's worthless. It, it literally is worthless. It accomplishes nothing. Your, your worry didn't add a single dollar to your bank account or subtract one single cancer cell from your body. All your worry did accomplish is that it made you miserable today. That's it. Your, your worry did absolutely nothing to solve anything except making you miserable today. But even more than being worthless, Jesus says, it is faithless. Worry ultimately is faithless. Because it erases the promises of God from your mind. When you have anxiety, you are basically marking the spot. You are putting a big, fat X on the spot where you're not believing either that God cares about you or that He can do anything about what you care about. Now, I'm not trying to be critical of those who, who struggle with worry. I, I'm just telling you what God's Word says. And so Jesus says... Here's what you need to do. Take a walk. Go outside. Look at creation. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. God is taking care of his universe, and he cares about you so much more than he cares about the birds and the flowers or anything else that he has made. God has got this, and you can take charge of your worry and anxiety when you start to remember that God is in charge of this world. And so that's the first thing he says, stop it. thought about showing you the video. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Bob Newhart video where he just is talking to a client and he says, she's struggling with anxiety and he just says, I got two words for you, stop it. If you haven't seen it, you need to Google it. It's fantastic. Um, but I won't, I won't do that. Uh, I'll just tell you what Paul says and what Jesus says, that to stop it. Stop it. Stop worrying. Worry about nothing. But when you tell someone to stop something, You also need to tell them what to put in its place, right? Because you can't just say, stop doing this. You need to say, okay, here's what we need to start doing. Here's what we need to fill in in the gap. So he says, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Pray about everything. Paul says, in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. Another version says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Because here's the deal. God loves to hear your voice. Your father loves to hear your voice. But I guarantee you, he wishes he heard from you more often. And God doesn't need you to use big, huge religious words. I'm not saying it's a bad thing if you do, but if if you you feel like, well, I don't don't have that kind of vocabulary, you know. I don't pray like I was born into the King James Version. That's okay. God doesn't need you to use huge, long religious words words and change the tone of your voice, God just wants you to, to check in and talk with him more often. Tell him what you're doing today. Tell him how you, what, what you think about it, how you feel about it. He wants to hear from you, and he is always available, and he will never put you on hold. And what happens when we talk to God, just talking to him we start to get in touch with his sovereignty and his mercy in other words there's nothing that we are talking to him about that's too big for him and there's no concern of ours that is too small for him and it just helps my spirit to know that i can talk to someone who can actually do something about tomorrow this thing I struggle so much with. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Now, when I, I, when I hear that word f- cast, I think of, of fishing. You know, when you, you cast something, you you take it here and you put it somewhere else, right? And the purpose of putting it somewhere else is because it doesn't do much good if I've got a bait on the end of my line that's just hanging in the air. Unless I'm going to, catch flying fish that are somehow going to jump into my, you know, onto my line and hook themselves. I need to cast it somewhere where it's going to do what? More good. That's what we do with our worry. We cast it somewhere at the feet of the throne room of God where it's going to do more good, where he can do something with it. So I heard about a story about a guy who was always just critical and grumpy and had just, just poor disposition, and then all of a sudden everyone noticed just this huge shift in his thinking and his mindset and his demeanor, and how he just became such a much more cheerful person. And so they asked him, What in the world happened to you? Why, why this huge change? And he said, Well, I started paying someone to do my worrying for me. I started paying someone to worry for me. And they said, Well, you can do that? And he said, Yeah, you can do that. And they said, Well, how much does it cost? And he said, It costs about $10,000 a month. And they said, How can you afford that? And he said, Well, that's his worry. You see, what they're saying is, why don't you give it to someone who can do something about it? Why don't you give it to God? He's up all night anyway. And it will do your spirit good if you spent more time bowing your knees and bowing your head than wringing your hands. But you don't just cast your worries on God. God, he says, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. I want to tell you, one of the things that I have learned is that the most joyful people are the most thankful people. And so worry about nothing, pray about everything, give thanks about anything. Because worry refuses to share a heart with gratitude. And so Paul says, you, you bring the things that you are anxious about to God with thanksgiving and we say well how can I do that like I'm worried about tomorrow I don't know how this is going to turn out I don't know how it's going to end up how can I thank God before I get an answer you can because you know the one you're talking to is good and he's working things out for your good and he's working things out for all of the good of those who love him and so again verse six don't worry about anything Pray about everything. I like how one version says, and with thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. Now remember, the guy who's writing this is writing this from prison. So clearly Paul believes that you can change your attitude even when you don't have the power to change your circumstances and your situation. He said virtually the same thing to the Thessalonian church. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Then notice what he says For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what God wants for you and from you constant joy, constant prayer, constant thanksgiving. You say, How can I be thankful? How can I give thanks for all circumstances? That's not what he says. He doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances, he does say, though, you can give thanks in all circumstances. There was an old Scottish preacher by the name of Alexander White, and he was famous for starting every service before he preached with a prayer of thanksgiving. And so this one particularly cold, wintry Sunday in Scotland, the weather was just absolutely miserable. The wind was howling, rain was coming down sideways, and everyone was wondering how on earth he could find anything today to be thankful for. And White began the service with this prayer. He said, we thank Thee, O Lord, that it is not always like this. You see, life in the natural starts with our circumstances. Life in the natural starts with what we are dealing with, our situation, our circumstances. But life in the supernatural starts with Jesus, And so what Paul is saying, offer up some worship. Instead of being so consumed about what you're going through and what you're dealing with, and I'm not, not trying to belittle that, but Paul says, offer up some worship. Bring God some prayer. Bring Him, bring him some thanksgiving. Bring Him some praise. And here's what happens. When you do that, there, there is a calmness. There is a peace that begins to come to your spirit. I can't tell you how many times where, where, where I've been anxious or, or, or upset or, or feeling in a negative way and I come and I just worship and I let everything else go and there is a calmness that comes to my spirit and I know you have experienced that too whether it be in a corporate worship setting or just in, in, in a, a, a singular worship setting, just you and God where there's just a calmness that comes to your spirit when you just stop and you just give thanks and you worship and you put it at the feet of God. Because you start to remember all the blessings that you have in Jesus that tomorrow cannot touch. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. My sins have been totally washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have an assurance of an eternal salvation. And there is nothing that tomorrow can throw at you that can threaten that. And so worship brings me the perspective I need. But you see, when the worship and the thanksgiving and the prayer is over, the battle for joy is not. Because we highlight verses 6 and 7 of Philippians chapter 4, but we stop usually one verse short of what Paul, or or where Paul does. And so he says this in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Give thanks about anything. Think about good things. The word worry literally means divided. Divided mind. The reason you're anxious is because your mind is fighting. Different thoughts are fighting for control of your mind, And so if we're going to stop these behaviors, we're going to need to start new ways of thinking, new kinds of thinking. And here's the thing, life will not let you drift into a new way of thinking. You don't just wake up and, and all of a sudden find yourself in a new way of thought. L- life doesn't let you drift into new ways of thinking. Life will inevitably take you into negative ways and a paths of negative thinking if you don't stop it. For instance, how many of you know the song um, Everybody Dance Now? am sure most of you know that. Um, it's actually called Gonna Make You Sweat, but nobody knows it by that name. We all know it by uh, uh, Everybody Dance Now. Well, I heard a story about this one guy who was driving in Montreal a couple of years ago, and that song came on the radio, and it made him happy. So he starts moving, he starts singing, he starts getting his voices loud, and and so he's just enjoying himself, listening and singing to that song, when all of a sudden he looks in his rearview mirror and sees lights flashing, and he sees a cop car behind him, and so he thinks, okay, well, they're just trying to get by, I'll pull over to the side of the road, and they pulled up behind him. And so the four officers got out of their car and approached his car, and they, they said, what are you screaming about? He said, I'm not screaming. I'm just singing along to the song. I'm enjoying this song. It's singing my happy song. And they said, no, you were screaming. And they gave him a ticket for $150 for verbal uproar. That is what our culture will do to you, right? In in that little snippet, that is what society and culture and life will do to you. You cannot have happy thoughts because we're going to drain them out of you. We're going to suck the joy out of life. We insist that you have negative thoughts. And so we let our culture fill our minds with this junk. Do, do you understand? I mean, do we wrap our minds around that the media exists to make us upset? Like that's, that's the whole, and I'm not, I'm not, this has nothing to do with politicalness, so please don't hear that, okay? I'm just saying, like the media exists on whatever they are telling you to make you upset or worried. You know why? Because that sells ratings. That, 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 that is what drives ratings. And then guess what we do? We worry about it or we get angry about it. So then we go on social media and we rant about it. And nobody wants to have a conversation because everybody just wants likes. And so we get divisive and we get angry in our spirits and we get worried in our spirits. And we think we can be exempt from the sow and reap principle. But I'm telling you, if you sow negative, critical thoughts in your mind, you will reap a negative and critical spirit. Paul says you don't have to live that way. You don't have to. I hope you don't want to, but Paul says you don't have to. You can take responsibility for the thoughts that you have through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. You can embrace the supernatural life. You can tap into divine resources that empower you to live above your circumstances. You can embrace the supernatural life and the supernatural life will embrace you. So let's look one more time. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. We've already read it. One of the most powerful promises that God gives to us. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, by the way, it don't make no sense, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now Paul is not saying that if you will pray and thanks and think that all of your what ifs will go away. That is not what he's saying. But he does say that what will happen is that peace will come. Peace will come. Supernatural peace. Peace that will guard your joy because peace in spite of anxiety saying what if, peace says even if. Even if And it guards our joy. Peace says the winds and the waves still know your name and through it all my eyes are on you. Notice by the way he does not say the peace from God. He says the peace of God. The the very peace that is God's character and essence. The sovereignty or the serenity of the sovereign. The tranquility that that exists literally in the throne room of heaven. God's Peace, the peace that God has, gets downloaded into your spirit to guard your joy. It's a supernatural thing. And you can't explain it, but you cannot explain it away. And it turns what if into even if. You see, peace isn't found simply by having all of our what ifs fixed or taken away In the natural, but peace can be found by disciplining ourselves to live in the supernatural and understand, even if. That's why Paul ends the section by saying these words, and that's where we'll close today. He says in verse 9 Whatever you have learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Put it into practice. You see, we get to choose. We get to choose whether or not we put this stuff into practice. We get to choose if that's the kind of life we actually want to live. You have a choice. But the promise is sure. If you do, if you make that choice, the promise is sure. And I love what he says next. The God of peace, not only will he give you his peace, but he will be with you.